Hello, welcome back to Anime on the Siege of Sky. I'm hoping the clocks rolling forward again didn't cause too much of a ruckus, even though we did technically lose an hour of sleep last week, but considering that now we've gotten an extra hour of daylight and we've properly adjusted, I would imagine it's going to be a little better leading ourselves into the spring, considering that I'm hoping for it to get slightly a bit warmer, but considering that the rain hasn't necessarily let up for the past two weeks, eh, it's <laughs> really tough to find an ending in sight in times like these. But I'm hoping everybody had a decent St. Paddy's Day. I had a decent afternoon, ended up catching up with a couple of friends, and then finally being able to go see my first Vancouver Canucks game for the first time in over two years. Except this was the first time they got shut out since November. So it was a fun experience. It was nice to actually go up into a section of the nosebleeds that I hadn't necessarily found before, but actually had more than enough space and more than enough of a view inside of the stadium to actually make out the entirety of the game and so it was a good way to catch back up with friends if not for the fact that we weren't able to hear the horn go off at least once and get a little bit more hype throughout the day but you know what i don't know you win some you lose some got to go to the game anyway so i'm hoping at some point in time before the end of the season i'm actually going to have another opportunity to actually uh get to hear that horn in live in person so even though it has been a short time in between episodes i might as well get the awkward one out of the way, considering that I don't really have many positive things to feel about this, and honestly it felt like it got worse the more I looked into it, but once again, Adult Swim is going to be producing, or in this case, ordering, two new FLCL seasons, as well as another anime called Housing Complex C. Now, oh boy, well, I've already just exposited how I feel about both FL uh, Fully Cooly Progressive and Alternative, to the nth degree, and how I legitimately hate both of them. If anything, Alternative is slightly better than Progressive, but it is honestly one of my least favorite viewing experiences of any anime that I have ever watched. And the fact that Adult Swim is now going to be ordering two more of these, I could only assume to be six-episode seasons, the only way I'm ever going to even find an opportunity or even give myself a shadow of a doubt or give myself a reason beyond the shadow of a doubt to watch this series again, is if it is overwhelmingly positive and actually is able to give one of the greatest heel turns inside of the entire industry, considering that there is no other way that I'm ever going to step foot inside of this franchise ever again, unless it's legitimately overwhelmingly positive to all the people that actually have to go through and complete these shows. But actually, like, looking through... Not only through just the 10 second teaser doesn't really feel like a good stylistic choice for the rest of it, considering like the mix of, the mix of cell 3D and 2D elements that have just been loading through with only an 11 episode teaser really did not help anything lining up to help my expectations towards anything positive happening inside of this franchise. Because it's like the deeper I looked into this, considering that, okay, so FLCL grunge. The first of the two is going to be produced and animated by Mount Blanc Pictures. Because if the first of these, Fully Cooly Grunge, is going to be animated and produced by Mont Blanc Pictures. And I'd never heard of this before. I'd never even, like, had a general idea about what this studio was, considering that it had, this is the first time it had ever entered my lexicon. I'd never heard of this fucking studio before. And so it's like the only things I was able to get through Mal, through ANN, through articles and wikis, and literally anything related to the studio's main homepage is just that it was formed in 2012, and the Mal only has Fully Cooly Grunge, like, added to its, you know, 
the actual uh, works that it's essentially produced on, on its works that it's produced and actually worked on, and then the only other things that I was able to go through, through articles and co-productions and various other movies and television shows and work that it's actually done, was something called After School Midnighters, which was a children's programming thing that was made back in, like, 2012. And then the only other piece that I was able to find was it was the second studio that it co-produced with on something called Chad and Clark, which was, which was a set of children's books that was animated in CG, like, in 2016, and nothing else. Literally, no, like, no... Compared to the studio that I'm going to talk about in a second, they have no other credits on works that they helped with, uh, like, second like second frame animations, between key animation, finishing animation, in-betweens, assistance, like, nothing. And Netflix is going to this studio, in particular, to be like, hey, we need six episodes of a new Fooly Cooly uh, production, and we want you to do it. And it's like, what the fuck have these guys been doing? considering that I can't find a single piece of work that has legitimately been on their CV over the past six years. And so they're going to be the ones that are going to be doing, like, a fully Cooley project. And it's just, I'm so fucking confused. Like, there's literally nothing. And so there's not even a single thing or, like, a, like an entire positive light to bring to anything related to this production, considering that there is nothing to stick. Like, nothing to hold on to. Like, nothing positive that would actually give anybody any ideas about even wanting to watch the show in the first place if the last two things they made were alternative and progressive, which they had absolutely no part in. But at least the one that they do have a part in, which is uh, Fully Cooly Shoegaze, um, it's going to be directed by the same dude who did uh, Fully Cooly Alternative, which is Yutaka Uemura. And that's going to be animated by a as a co-production by Production IG and Studio Nut. And it's, it, like, okay, same dude who ended up doing Alternative, which was the better of the two, but that bar is so low that you can't even call it a compliment. I mean, it's just so, so flawed and so weird, and it's and it feels so fucking wrong. Like, it's just, ordering is a way, like, like definitely ordering is what they're doing. Like, it, it's an understandable way to, like, call actually bringing a show into creation and actually wanting somebody to create this piece of work that you're going to help produce. But, like, it's, it ordered is just such a perfect word for this because it's just so manufactured and sounds soulless and lifeless. Like, nothing, they're not even, like, planning on, like, bringing back any, uh, like, any of the pillows. Like, nothing's been heard about that yet. They used Ride on Shooting Star for, like, the 11-second teaser it's, it, oh, it, like, the more and more I looked into it, the more, and, like, the more, like, I haven't felt angry like this since I ended up watching Perks of an Alternative. It's just been, I, I just don't want it to happen again, but it doesn't necessarily matter, because at least, like, looking through all this, I can just throw it by the wayside, and even if they, oh, yeah, no, we're gonna get the pillows back, they're gonna be making more music, and, like, they're actually going to be, like, bringing back the spirit of Fooly Cooly, and we won't mess it up a third and a fourth time, it's just... Oh my god, I fucking hate everything, like, every part about this production. And, like, not, and only 11 seconds of it has been shown. Like, I really can't say. The only other thing is that, besides uh, Fooly Cooly Grunge and Shoegaze, they ended up uh, ordering a third show, uh, which is called Housing Complex C, and it's going to be done by Studio Akatsuki. And that was also a name where it was just, oh, I have never heard about this. Same deal. Another studio like, just completely out of, out of the ordinary, then Netflix is going to be bringing in and say, hey, we want you to produce this piece of work. 
And it's so basically the only way that they described it is that it centers on a girl named Kimi who lives in a small low-cost housing complex loaded in the seaside town of Kurosaki where trouble seems to follow her wherever she goes. And horrific incidents begin to occur. And the big question is that is there an ancient evil stalking the residents of this so-called housing complex C? I have no expectations for this whatsoever. So that's the only thing I can do is that I can at least look from this set of positive direction considering that we actually have a studio that has worked on like legitimate animation before but even that is just even more fragmented the only times that studio katsuki has basically been made as the major studio that has worked on a piece of animation is through the Fragtime oav and the irodori mori like mini shorts and the amvs that they ended up creating to promote a fictional band that is inside this short anime that they ended up producing and it's just really weird and it's it's it kind of makes them feel like a shell company in a way, considering that they've produced, they've been on the production committee for more shows than they actually been animated and credited for by comparison. So they're on the production committee for Hunamatsuri, which is actually a good and like heartfelt comedy series, which I do recommend you going to watch, done by Studio Feel. But by comparison, at least instead of Montblanc Pictures having absolutely like little to no experience by comparison since they've only looked it only looks like they've worked on three other projects besides uh fully coolie but at least uh since studio akatsuki's uh founding back in 2016 they've actually done over a hundred different pieces of work and shows to add to their resume considering that they've done second key animation in-betweens finishing animation assistance they've done they've been heavily credited like, as the major secondary studio, like, helping out on the majority of the production for shows like Dina Zenon, Sabikui Bisco, which is airing right now, which I thoroughly enjoy, uh, Psychopaths 3, The Film Ride Your Wave by Masaki Iwasa, they were also, like, heavily credited on Horamiya, the Fireworks movie, like, they have more than enough experience and credits to, like, give a full-blown production to, and so at least there I can be like, okay, well, this, even though they haven't really... It, it, no, this actually seems like this is going to be their first major production work where they are the like major credits for production. So I really don't know how that's going to go, but I'm, I'm, I would like to say I'm curious, but I'm more concerned uh, rather than anything. And so it's just really, really, really weird that everything related around these three shows that are getting ordered is just like making me feel like worse and worse about the anime industry as it goes along with more holes and more divots and more shells. It just does not help anybody like anywhere for all this it only helps netflix in this case considering that they can just poke into whatever like freelance or second piece animation studio that they would want to choose and be like hey we know that anime is becoming popular and it's now almost close to be hitting the mainstream and we want you to animate something for us which on paper sounds amazing but considering that with how noted and mainstream that this medium is getting the problem is is that there is an increasing demand for these kinds of shows and there aren't enough studios or people in the workforce in the animation industry to legitimately go and actually make these things to the best of their ability and i'm still holding on to that crack theory where it's basically like there is going to be a major bubble pop at some point in the 2020s where it's just the demand is just going to so outweigh the supply of animators and studios and workers to actually make these things a reality that just 
Japan in general is going to like major or fall under some major cataclysmic event that is just going to thoroughly degrade their entire relationship with the animation medium as a whole. So, I don't know. It's it's weird. It's just really weird and really concerning. Uh, but at least for a couple of other shows, I guess there is a little bit more of a positive spin to at least a different piece of the medium, which is definitely going through manga and its distribution into European and other Western-like sets, considering that Chainsaw Man, Jujutsu Kaisen, and Demon Slayer are all ranking on the top charts inside the New York Times March bestseller list. And so it's really nice to see that Chainsaw Man is like really getting up there, considering that it's still not really building up the hype train. I still like remember how massive of a reception that trailer ended up getting like way back uh at some point last year i think it was like either september or october of last year maybe they're still slating the chainsaw man adaptation by mappa for some point this year in 2022 um but at this point in time the most that i can say is like look i want to give this studio and its people the most amount of time so it's like hey if you're going to announce this for 2022 you either release this for the fall season and you begin its airing in October, or you pull what Attack on Titan Season 4 did uh, back in December, where it's like, hey, technically, it's going to start airing inside of the fall season, but we can wait to get it released, like, all the way up until December. And so I'm hoping they can give them more than enough time to actually, like, make this adaptation flourish, considering that I can see it being, like, so damn popular <laughs> And just a massive hit compared to, like, how the adaptation's gonna go. And I have nothing but, like, hopes and praise for all the people that are essentially making this adaptation happen. But then, not in terms of Jujutsu Kaisen's banga, but for the film, uh, JJK Zero. Um, I actually had the opportunity to go back and see this over the weekend. And I'm, at the very end of the day, I think it's good. I definitely believe it's a recommendation, and if you enjoy Jujutsu Kaisen, then I definitely recommend you uh, going to see the movie. Technically, considering that it is a prequel to the actual uh, manga that's cur uh, currently running in Shonen Jump, I would still say you can go into this blind, but you'll have like all the nods and the like minute moments, because you, you technically don't need to. It does more than enough to explain the power system and like why everybody else like, does the things that they do, and what cursed energy manifests, and how it interacts with the world, but I will admit that because of me seeing, like, the first 24 episodes of the anime, the small moments that do end up happening inside of this film hit that much harder when you actually realize what essentially happened in front of your eyes, considering that whenever the action goes and it lands with a distinct impact, that impact is that much greater knowing why it's important and why that is as powerful as it is. And to be honest, it's doing really well considering that it is set to debut at number two in the US for its opening weekend only behind the Robert Pattinson adaptation of The Batman. That's kind of insane. <laughs> as it's as it's like not necessarily reaching as close, but it's still doing very well considering that it is uh, anime film but it's still having that extra like notoriety and like reach considering that it is a shonen anime adaptation. So that definitely goes through. Considering that at least on its first full day in the US on Friday, it was able to rake in 8.68 million and it had a distribution of 2340 theaters. That's nuts. And it's expecting to like almost break the 20 million barrier by the end of the weekend for its opening stay. 
And so the only one that it would be behind on those opening numbers would have been the Demon Slayer Mugen Train film, which ended up having an opening weekend of $21.2 million. So I don't think it'll break that record, but I will see that it's going to be getting that close once we reach, considering that it's already into the midweek and we've already like passed it, but we just need to get all the numbers accounted for and just kind of see how that goes. But even then, the preview screenings itself already garnered itself $3 million on the Thursday. So, did a really good job. Um, I would def- definitely recommend going to see it, considering that it is definitely worth it, even though Shonen Fair isn't, like, your thing. If you have any interest inside of the medium or the franchise of JJK as a whole, then it gets an overwhelming recommendation from me, considering, at the very least, you are going to have an entertaining time. So now, I guess the major thing that I want to get to, considering that not only on Saturday was I able to go out and see Jujutsu Kaisen Zero, but also we finally ended up getting the start of the second half of the second season of The Owl House. And it certainly did not disappoint. It was I couldn't help but have a big dumb smile on my face actually being able to go through and see new content with these characters that I've grown to love over the past year and a half. It's been doing an exceptional job like bringing us back into the world with the limited amount of time that it has left, and I will definitely get to that in a moment. But considering that now for the next uh, 10 weeks, I guess, oh wow, I thought we were going to be getting <laughs> oh, only 19. No, we're going to be getting a 21-episode full season. Well, not necessarily, you know, 21 episodes for the next 20 weeks, but we're going to be getting the final 11 episodes to bridge off of the first 10 that we ended up getting, concluding in a 21-episode season, which is nice, considering that this show definitely deserves more than enough time to actually go through and write up whatever is able to finish off, considering that they weren't able to actually figure out that they were going to be getting their third season cut short until nearly after the production of the second season was done, because Disney is just a fucking piece of shit sometimes. Considering the monolith that it's been able to grow to today, the fact that what they consider a small show that is only firstly airing on cable television, or if the or on the Disney Now app, I believe, considering that it's an additional part of the streaming service that Disney Plus is able to get through, but guess what? You need a cable subscription in order to activate and figure out this streaming service. And it's like, the same time you are pushing forward, but you are so fucking behind on everything else, because literally the only way these decisions can be made is of people that are so far up their ass and and too fucking old to be making these decisions inside of a stream-based community and and system of media consumption that it's just kind of like how the fuck do you still like have no idea how to like stream on a daily basis you do this with your marvel cinematic universe so you're doing that with all the miniseries where you go on a week-by-week basis. But it's like, no, if this show is animated and it's on, you know, the Family Channel and the Disney Channel and the fact that there's going to be nobody that wants to go see this, like, on a, day, on a day-by-day basis, the only way that you're ever going to be able to keep up with this legally on the same day is if, hey, guess what? You need to have a cable subscription and you can only live in the United States because nobody else is ever going to watch this series ever, considering that we don't want to make it as important as it works out to be, and considering that we just hate the show for no particular reason, even though we know there's going to be a particular reason that we're going to get to at some point, but you know what? They can still go fuck themselves and actually try to learn what the legit- what a legitimate proper business model is whenever you're, like, tiptoeing around streaming. It's like, you've already got Disney+. Plus. 
integrated. You dumb fucks. Anyway, that's enough colorful language from me. This is going to be a lot more positive, considering that... I'm trying to think. I believe that I ended up getting into the Owl House at some point in the fall of 2020? Later into the year, later into the quarantine. Um, actually, no, it would have been early 2021, considering that it would have been in mid-2020 that I ended up watching um, Gravity Falls. And so that was a random show that I ended up continuously getting recommended by both friends and YouTube algorithms and everything else, like, loading on the line, considering that the only major cartoon that I had ever, like, gone through and had a positive reception with would have been Avatar. And I will admit that Gravity Falls and The Owl House aren't really close to that, but then again, nothing really ever is close to Avatar The Last Airbender whenever you want to compare about some of the greatest cartoons, like, in North American history. Even though I understand that it was done by Studio Mir, like, in outside of, uh, through an Eastern production, that they were able to handle the vast majority of the animation, so... I don't know. The more you look into the animation industry, you do realize, like, how much outsourcing there is, and you just gotta kinda, like, merge the rest of it and just think about it as all one major production. But, uh, yeah, no. They've done a really good job with everything going through, considering that Gravity Falls was a really pleasant watch out of nowhere, considering that I really latched onto the comedy, I really, like, enjoyed all the characters and all the wacky adventures they went on. Alex Hirsch was a very good showrunner in that sense, considering that he wasn't really making the show for Disney, he was really making the show for himself, and you can see that, like, mid-2000s-era comedy, but as well as modern stuff, like, flow through inside of his work, even though, what was it, I believe Gravity Falls was, like, 2012, 2013, so... But yeah, considering that I am going to be spoiling the majority of Seasons 1 and 2, I would definitely give this a glowing recommendation if you're interested in going to see and actually experience this show yourself. It's definitely been a while, but one of the reasons why I make this comparison is that the Owl House is definitely made up of a lot of alumni of the people that ended up working on Gravity Falls, including the creator and showrunner Dana Terrace, who has basically been like the head honcho for telling Disney to go fuck themselves, especially over the new and drastically reduced season three that they ended up getting for like a specific relationship that we'll get to which is definitely understandable and not me doing a good idea of hiding it definitely me not doing a good job of hiding it but uh, that's beside the point it was at some point early in 2021 where i ended up coming across a draw opinion video on writing good relationships and it was of these two girls both Luz and Amity, and it was in the middle of their Grom dance. And it was just, huh, that's interesting. There, You don't necessarily, like, is this a potential, like, lesbian relationship? Considering that there have been a lot more, like, options of that and actually coming through in a couple of, like, Netflix productions, like The Princesses of Power and Adventure Time. And so at least those opportunities have been able to go through. But it was just, huh, this is a Disney show. Hey, this is actually showing up on, like, the Disney Network. Wow, these are actually, like legitimately, well, not necessarily fully lesbian, considering that Luz is bi, and I believe Amity is a, le a lesbian, but that's kind of beside the point. We're just happy that they've actually been able to get together and become a legitimate, you know, homosexual couple inside of a Disney show, which is, like, it was so far out of left field that I was like, whoa. So that building relationship, which at the time wasn't fully made yet, legitimately got me interested in the show, but then everything that came after it was, like, an incredible, like, semblance of energy that I only had seen before inside of Gravity Falls. 
And so seeing just the threatening but majestic aura of The Boiling Isles, which is the show that it takes place in, as well as just the type of comedy and the references to both anime and other cartoons and legitimate, like, fourth-wall-breaking network jokes is like, you know what? Yeah, no, this is definitely my kind of stuff. This is my shtick. And so it legitimately got me curious and invested. And so I was able to go through and watch all 19 episodes of the first season, and I was, you know, incredibly invested. I liked the characters, I liked the development, I liked the world, I liked all the potential that this world was able to bring, and who essentially the big bad was going to be, as well as their intentions and their plans being a little more vague than they could have been by comparison. And the majority of those questions wouldn't be answered until the second season started airing, which was, I believe, like back in around July of last year, or July in 2021. And so I was actually finally able to go through and watch those episodes week by week, which was awesome, except for the fact that it wasn't on, Dis it wasn't on Disney Plus initially. And then on top of that fact, it, the only t way that you're able to watch the second season, even now, Canada is only given the first season, at least on their streaming service, and the only way that you can watch the other 10 episodes on Disney Plus is if you, you know, have a computer and you watch it inside of the States, or through a VPN uh, to each your own. But also the fact that currently, right now, we finally ended up getting episode 11, so the first episode of the second half of the second season, and the only way you can watch it is on Disney Now, and you actually need to have a cable subscription. So... I'm going to find my own ways to watch it, considering I live in Canada, but I definitely have my ways to go through and join in the weekly conversation, and it seems to be working so far, so I definitely appreciate that. But I guess going through the first season, even though as an anime fan I'm not really much of an isekai person, this is definitely like one of the first times I've witnessed like an isekai inside of a North American production, basically, considering that Luz ends up walking through a portal to the Boiling Isles and gets transported and she can't... Well, no, it's not that she can't find her way back, it's just that she uses the excuse considering that she was a huge troublemaker back in the human... Well, just call it the human realm, like, on Earth. So back in the human realm, she ends up getting into a lot of trouble, like, she's very flamboyant and pragmatic and she just has a lot of energy and a lot of creativity but nobody really likes to take her seriously especially her what who appears to be single bomb who just wants to send her to a camp to kind of like get her bearings done and kind of like lose that creativity where it was like i think it was like camp inside the box or something along those lines uh but she ends up like losing her way and then it's like okay i'll just go to this portal but i'll just message my mom and say, hey, no, this this camp is really fun, and so it's go I'm going to be... It gives her an excuse to, like, stay inside of this world for an extended period of time. And so she actually has the opportunity to go through and, like, live through all these, you know, harrowing experiences with demons and magic and, like, other... Not really humans, but just uh, witches who actually have a very, very similar anatomical structure to regular people because that's exactly what they look like it's just that they have this weird magical organ or this sack inside their bodies that allows them to produce magic and so Luce ends up going through and befriending a couple of extra outcasts and she ends up not only going to school but living at this place called the owl house the <laughs> titular place uh where it's protected by an owl demon named hootie as well as being occupied by possibly well 
I like by comparison, I will admit that Ida, who is the Owl Lady, would have probably been like one of the most powerful witches on the Boiling Isles until she ends up losing her magic. So I'm really curious to see how that goes. So she ends up having a curse that Luce has to deal with time to time, as well as dealing with this very tiny, furry, adorable demon named King, who is also voiced by Alex Hirsch, while they work around and deal with Hootie, who, like I said before, is the Guardian of the Owl House, who is also voiced by Alex Hirsch, who was previously the showrunner for Gravity Falls, and he was the major voice of Bill Cipher, who is the main antagonist back in the Falls. But yeah, it was... Watching the first season was a little awkward, considering that there were way too many episodic, just one-off things that didn't really advance much of the plot or many of the relationships with the characters. So it was kind of like a lot of on-and-off stuff inside of that first season, but by the time the second season rolled around and all of these things started going through, even though apparently we know that they didn't realize that they got their third season shortened until way deep into the production of season two... Season 2 kind of felt like it knew more about what it wanted to do, considering that not a single episode is wasted. We get introduced new characters, the plot continuously gets moved forward, we know, we get to know more about the world and the history and why essentially Bellos is doing the things that he's doing. Well, not the entire reason, but considering that he, we actually know what his end goal is, and that's to use the old book, the, not the old book, uh, the old portal that Luz ended up you know, falling her way into the Boiling Isles, he wants to reverse engineer it so he can travel to the human realm. Apparently it's for a utopia so that they can be rid of a world of wild magic, which is a magic system that Luz ends up learning, considering that, well, she's not a witch with a magical sack inside of her body, so she has to figure out different ways to actually go through and figure out how to, how to use magic. And so she ends up learning four different glyphs, which turn out to be fire, ice, plants. And it was really cool to kind of like have her learn the magic system as it goes and be a surrogate to the audience where she's continuously inquisitive. She always wants to ask questions. She wants to figure out what the deal is with this world and why everything is the way that it is. And so it's definitely perfect to use as an audience stand-in considering that all these questions that we're interested in asking, we're interested about the world, considering that we're, inter we're interested because Luz is interested. And so is everybody else trying to figure out what the grandeur of all these plans that are working around the background end up going to be coming towards the end of the series. And so it was just really, really cool. Also with the four elements, <laughs> four, yeah. Also having four elements was kind of really cool, but it also is really interesting to see how the uh, majority of the regular magic systems work inside of this world, which leads into the coven system. And so off the top of my head, let me see, there are nine covens, and so you end up getting the Abomination Coven, the Plant Coven, the Illusion Coven, the Potions Coven, the Scrying Coven, the Beast Coven, the Healing Coven, oh, and then the Bard Coven and the Construction Coven. There we go. And so honestly, having like more than enough pieces of magic and systems for her to actually go through and try and learn was actually cool and gives like more than enough of a diverse system for a lot of different things to be able to go through. And even though... The covens are held by the coven leaders, or the emperor's coven, who is allowed to use every kind of magic, and every other coven's students are only forced to use that one coven. It's just kind of, which is weird, considering that as I was going into electrical engineering, you were allowed to go into nine different sub-disciplines. But that was the thing, you're only allowed to pick one sub-discipline and not go through the rest. So as soon as you, as soon as they force you into picking a coven, you are only limited to using that one map 
piece of magic and that one piece of the system. Unless you are fully subservient to the Emperor and then, hey, guess what? Now you're able to use all forms of magic. Hey, isn't that convenient? Like, just join and serve the Emperor and you'll be able to have whatever freedoms you desire. Except absolutely none, considering that you will only be able to use it in my own servitude. So, which is just, there's so much underlying darkness inside of this children's thing, considering that there was a lot of, like, really creepy and, like, adult humor that popped through in Gravity Falls, and it's definitely, like, bled into this one as well, considering just the underlying darkness inside of this series that's just incredibly, like, weird and dystopian and just frightening at times, like, mostly for the treatment of children, considering that there are so many times where the students of Hexide, like, are just thrown into this abominable pit inside of detention to legitimately, like, meld away their, their actual positivity and insecurities and their just legitimate happiness, and it's like, oh, that's kind of fucked. On top of the fact that on more than one multiple occasion, which almost happens throughout the entirety of the second season, just kind of like, they really don't care about the children, considering that on, mo on more than one occasion, just the Emperor's Coven tries to kill them, and even Am Amity's mom, like, permits execution of these children, trying to just, like, get them out of her sight. So it's just like, okay, you guys have tried to kill kids, like, more than a handful of times, and it's like, what is even going on? This is a children's show. I mean, technically. But yeah, no, it was just like really, really concerning just to kind of like see the nonchalance about how like potential death works in this world. And I don't know, the, the one of the only negative points is that you can definitely see like even though Luz's friends, Willow and Gus, have essentially been going through and like been pushed to the sideline where basically the only major characters that the show kind of pushes forward is like, okay, so you've got Luz, Amity, Ida, Hootie, and King, uh, Hunter, and Emperor Bellows. And that's it. Like, everybody, it like, they've got this wide cast, but they really aren't giving as much time to the rest of it, which also sucks, considering that you can totally understand, in the sense that they don't have enough time, so they've got to push the story in as quick of a manner as possible to try and cover every base that they have to go through. And even, like, listening to when Dana Terrace ended up doing, like, a charity stream about a week and a half ago, where it's just kind of like, yeah, once we ended up going through, it's like, okay, well... We have all these threads inside of the story that we still want to tell, but, like, what threads are we going to have to go and continue down? What threads are we going to have to drop? Like, it's just, it, it like, it's really putting your nose to the grindstone in the worst way possible, where it's just, like, the company pulling the rug from under you. It's like, okay, so you're going to be getting three 45-minute episodes. So, by comparison, instead of getting a 20-episode third and final season, you're going to get six. That's, A, fucking bullshit, and then, B, like, that's, like, putting your writing skills inside of the room the writer's room on overdrive considering that it's like okay so we did introduce all this stuff but in order to finish and have a satisfying conclusion and end to the story what are we going to have to prioritize and what are we going to have to cut so it's just so disappointing in that regard but then yeah considering that there hasn't been any official statement besides the fact that the only major like reason that Disney said that they were going to drop the Owl House's major episode count is that Owl House didn't fit the Disney brand, which is like, I can kind of see that considering that like the demonic realm of the Boiling Isles is definitely a little more out there, but like there's no major inciting violence throughout to legitimately go through. But then on top of the fact, it's like you couldn't make your statement of why you would legitimately inhibit and cut more than a season's content off of a show where it's like oh it just didn't fit our brand 
you could not be more vague and passive and bullshit like inside of your like reasoning and the answer to it it's like unfucking believable like you old crotchety fucks are legitimately going to shorten it because the only major thing that anybody can point to is that hey we're going to give you know the disney channel's first major canonical like lesbian pairing i understand it loses by but still it's just like oh these two girls are in a relationship ain't that cool it's like no it's bad because we're going to lose a major part of our conservative audience if this one show in our catalog goes through our net and we can't control it and we can't make you do what we want you to do and they just can't be good friends or in one of the more hilarious dub translations like out in the east we can't make them go traveling together it's just like uh y'all y'all are just fucking mental like seriously expand your demographic and expand your dynamic you know that we understand that the demographic is between ages 7 and 11 for the Disney Channel, but the fact that you are legitimately going to inhibit one of your own products that has one of the highest pieces of viewership outside of your, like, age demographic, and you're just going to cut it because, yeah, no, we can't have anything, like, lesbian or homosexual because we don't want the conservative parents to essentially turn off the one show. Like, could you imagine how fragile your egos are to be so scared that if you had one piece of programming in one of the, no, if not, not one of the, the largest media conglomerates in the world, but if we have one lesbian pairing inside of any of our programs, the major, the major conservative Christian demographic is never going to watch another Disney product ever again. You are off your fucking rocker. You are off your fucking head. Get the fuck out of bed, you dumb cunts. Unbelievable. So yeah, let's talk about Lumity. I did admit that that was one of the major things I was curious about, considering that it was like, wait, so we understand what Disney's motives are, but why would they let it go through in the first place? Considering that it wasn't necessarily an official thing that happened until the second season, the fact that the hints were being, like, dropped rapidly, like, towards the second half of the first season, and the fact that, the, like, Amity's major fear inside of Grom Knight, her worst nightmare, was that she was going to ask Luz out, and she was going to get rejected. And it's like, huh, that's interesting. On top of the fact, like, whoever ended up doing the key animation for, like, I believe it was, like, a 30-second dance for the end of Grom Knight was one of the, like, best pieces of animation inside of the entire first season. That was an incredible achievement, like, for one, and then two was, like, a fantastic sequence, like, actually showing them growing closer. And even though Luz doesn't know that Animity wants to ask her out, we know that she has legitimately feel... We know that she has legitimate feelings for Luz, and those are going to come to the surface eventually. And actually seeing it happen in on, like, currently, like, the best episode of the series so far, inside of Knock 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 and on Hootie's Door, that was definitely, like, one of the better ones considering like everybody else going before it was what people were expecting to fill our episode with hootie at the helm and we like hootie in small doses but we can't deal with hootie throughout the entirety of an episode that would be a little too much camp 
Except it's like, no, we are going to potentially figure out what King is, and King's going to get a new power. We're going to have, we're going to magically drug Ida so she finally gets some rest after being, after pulling two all-nighters. And she's going to finally be able to go and confront and accept the Owl's Curse that has been giving her more than enough trouble and has completely sapped her magic over the course of the season. And then we're finally going to be able to go through and get not really a date, but more like a event that pushes Luz and Anime towards confession. And they both accept, and they end up going out by the end of the episode, and they're both, in, in Hootie's own words, they're adorable and they deserve all the happiness. And kind of like seeing that relationship, like, bloom over the beginning of the second season, considering that it was mostly just one-sided. Like, Luz is a happy and charming person, she wants to help every one of her friends out when she has the opportunity like because not only is she inquisitive she is very forward and she's going to help you whether you like it or not but at least leading into that everybody was really curious to see how Luz would react to Amity's like affection and as they were getting closer and actually seeing episode two I believe where she has to go through and like help Amity's mom, considering that they end up getting them not executed but expelled getting out of it also I absolutely love the fact that um Principal Bump is, like, literally in tears because the three biggest troublemakers inside of his school ended up get, getting kicked out. And it's just kind of... And he just drops down to the floor in tears where it's like, oh my god, it's not the same without them around. It's just so boring. <laughs> it, was, uh, it, it was one of the better ones of the moment. But then not only seeing that is just that once... Amity goes through and stands up to her mom and legitimately is able to find a reason to bring... Willow, Gus, and Luz back in the hex side, the fact that not only does Amity proudly declares that the slimes need to get away from her Luz, and Luz, like, basically breaks down into an embarrassed mess, and she blushes. And that was the thing. We got more than enough blushes from Amity inside of the first season, considering that we only perceived it as one way. And the first thing that I said after we ended up seeing both Luz and Amity blushing back and forth, basically just came down to two words. It's mutual. And everybody started losing their minds. And it's that's definitely one of the better things about this, considering that, especially when it comes to anime, actually watching it week by week and staying up with the conversation and seeing the reactions and how everybody else is going through and just absorbing the episodes that come by week by week, that's definitely one of the ones that I really enjoy. I understand why the binge metric exists for Netflix, but like, I guess I've gotten used to it, especially after watching anime for almost 11 years at this point. It's just gotten to the point where, yeah, no, I really enjoy the week by week, because not only are you able to go through and look forward to something, it actually continuously keeps the conversation going for a much longer period of time. Considering I would only imagine that especially with like say an episode or a series drops 10 episodes inside of a week that conversation goes for about a week or two and then people like start going through but you probably only get about like at max a month conversation out of that whereas if you're actually able to go through and watch an episode week by week that conversation stretches throughout the entirety of the season and you legitimately get more and more people invested, and you have more and more of a reason to talk about it, considering that it's still going on, it's still concurrent, and you still have a reason to legitimately like get people in this, hey, it's right in the middle of this. 
I'll help you. I can, like, watch it with you, catch it up, and we'll be able to go through and see what happens. And then once you actually hit week by week, you can join us in the pain of having to wait in between those several day stretches of not getting any new content and have nothing but the previous ideas of the other episode to just fester and, like, toil inside your mind. It's like, oh, well, this happened. What's going to happen next? Is that there Are they legitimately going to have to pull this in order to, like, get the next episode running? How is the, how is the next conflict going to be resolved? And so it's a really... Like, that's the major plus about having that, is that it is a talking point for as long as the season is running. And I really do appreciate that about it. And so, yeah, it was really good to see their relationship slowly progress over that time, culminating in Knock Knock Knockin' on Hootie's door. And considering that not only that, we ended up giving, like, King his new screeching powers, as well as Ida coming to terms with the Owl Curse, and she gets a new badass cool form. Harpy Ida, which is easily one of the best designs of the show, and I really appreciate that, considering that they weren't going to, like, put her down the same path as Luz, where it's like, okay, yeah, no, sure, she can still brew potions and she can still do wild magic, but what essentially is going to split her off from the crowd and actually give her more of a unique experience is like, boom, I'm gonna give you a harpy form, and everybody's going to fear you, and that is exactly what she needed. But then, yeah, it's been really nice, especially the most recent episode that came out. They are airing on uh, Saturdays, and so we're going to be getting 11 straight episodes going from now until, let's see, the last episode. Of the, so the first episode started on the 19th, which means we've got 4, 8, 12. So I believe it should go all the way to May 28th. Huh, that'll be cool. But yeah, I definitely recommend like anybody who is interested to see like what kind of pieces of the medium that are actually going through where it's just like through this isn't really adult oriented animations, but it's in the same vein as the Owl House, but it's in the same vein as Gravity Falls, where it is a cartoon that was made by somebody within our demographic and near to our age group that actually has the opportunity to watch to make the shows that they wanted to watch as a kid. And so not only does that give a new, like, age of people to get into, like, cartoons and animation, but it also, like, has more than enough content for people like me who have been watching it for years to be like, oh, I understand that reference. Oh, you, <laughs> like, you're literally just making the same amount of comedy that I would have made in your place. And it's, I guess relatable is probably not the proper word that I would use, but still, it's definitely a way to actually get people into this. And in the same deal... I would definitely give The Owl House a recommendation to anybody who's really curious to see what people have been able to go through and adapt and evolve animation through over the past 15 years. So yeah, thanks. Cheers. Cheers.